nobody knows what you are. I was concerned about going out into the world and doing something bigger than myself until someone smarter than myself made me realize there is nothing bigger than myself. But if you don't believe, nobody else is gonna believe. To get something you never had, you have to do something you never did. Welcome back to Paper Trails. It's your boy Mohammed. Um, not joined by my co-host Shamaki today. He's a bit busy, but we got to run the show regardless. Joined by a very special guest. Um, I'll, I will intro you a little bit, but first I want to intro us uh, first. Quick, just a uh, recap. So this is a podcast for creative thinkers and people who want to break out of the box. We review books on almost every single episode and get the pleasure of interviewing authors. And today I'm joined by uh, an author, uh, a special guest. Um, I'll do a bit of an intro, um, and then I want you to, to introduce yourself after. So Hassan Kuba, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, an award-winning author, international speaker, workshop facilitator, and executive coach on startup thinking. An ex- experienced, successful entrepreneur who's coached, trained, and taught thousands of people around the world. So yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Um, would you say that your your biography reflects who you are, or would you say that got asked by yourself? I don't know, you see biographies get updated all the time and I don't even remember yeah, that exactly. one. So I don't know where you've yeah. even found that. I think that yeah. that one actually wasn't, can't have been written by me because I'm actually quite, um, I work with very select few clients. So I wouldn't say I've coached thousands. No, I've been coaching okay. for the last two or three years. Um, okay. and, and and it's been kind of very one-to-one kind of executive coaching, etc. So uh-huh. I wouldn't say I've been um, doing yeah. it that much but I've been doing online courses as well maybe if you count all of those etc it can add up um, yeah. but yeah so I I am my name is Hassan Kuba I wrote a book called The Unfair Advantage with my co-author Ash Ali um, it's about success it's about where does success come from it's about how you how it's all about unfair advantages how we can leverage and identify our own unfair advantages yeah. and I'm sure we'll get into that and um book has done really well it struck a chord we got the business book of the year um we um also have a lot of views particularly on youtube about the book so that's the interesting thing is because what happened is we went into lockdown like right after the book came out so the book tour got cut short um but thankfully it started to go really viral on youtube so you can find a lot of great summaries i tell people all the time i don't i know not everybody reads but you can find like interviews with me or summaries of the books like this one of the main summaries that have gone viral is Ali Abdal's and mm-hmm. there's an interview with me on it um yeah and that's, that's got, actually like, where two... I uh, that's actually where I found the book so I watched his video and I was like okay go grab that one yeah but and yeah. there's since then there's been like there's another video that's got two and a half million views that's completely separate um as well which is really cool which I'm not even in yeah. Um, so the book's done really well and I've ended up because of the whole YouTube thing I've ended up coaching not just startup founders because the book was mostly like to do with kind of business world startup world but actually YouTubers has been an area which I've been coaching a lot of people on I've been coaching a lot of aspiring authors to get publishing deals to be able to write a book proposal to get a literary agent um, to really hone and refine a strong concept for your book a strong like IP intellectual property so these hey, have been the uh, kind of the areas that I've been busy with and uh, I've also been lately working on, everyone asks me what's the second book, et cetera, but I've been lately working on YouTube. So soon to be like a YouTuber as well. So well, I think that's yeah, kind I of- actually used to watch, Yeah, so I've actually been, I've actually watched some of the YouTube videos in the past. So oh, cool. is that something that you never like, you just like did casually, but now you want to take it a bit more seriously then? Yes, I tried to take it seriously at the beginning. So I actually started yeah, you... coaching Ali Abdal. So I was his business coach, his like ah. executive coach, his book coach for like a good, 
two years um, and we're still really, really good friends. So uh-huh. that's an area that I actually, I helped launch the part-time YouTuber Academy, like not as in, in terms of strategy, in terms of coaching Ali through that. Um, uh-huh. Not to take credit for the course at all, of course. I learned from the course myself and that's when I started doing a bit of YouTube here and there, which is what you saw, Mohammed. But um, yeah, I've, I've kind of refined what I want to do in, on YouTube and I've been working on that. It's kind of leverages more my writing, my research, my analysis, as opposed to uh-huh. just doing generic, which is what I've done in the past is just turn the camera on, which is done actually uh-huh. surprisingly all right. Um, uh-huh. I want to kind of produce actual shows. So that's kind of what I have in mind. Interesting. Um, yeah, so that's the path that I've been on. So and, and and the other thing that yeah. I guess I didn't mention is the public speaking. So especially after all the lockdown stuff, etc., I started in in person events. I mean, there were some Zoom ones which I did as well. Also, like keynote speaking, um, workshop training, etc. That's also been something I've been doing with corporates, organizations, nonprofits, that kind of thing, universities. And then, yeah, that kind of yeah. summarizes essentially what I've been doing. It's all been around the concept of like getting started, how to optimize, how to do better, how to scale, how to do a passive income business, all these kinds of like, they're all coming together as, as like success and escaping the rat race and following mm-hmm. your passion. Those are the kinds of subjects that I've been working in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting. So yeah, thanks for the intro. Um, it's interesting because like um, Shumaki and I, the, my co-host who's not here today, um, we actually started this podcast because we wanted to, to write. Um, so we wanted to try and read more to actually like analyze the different writing styles different storytelling styles uh like different ways of world building both of us were more interested in, in fiction books uh nice. funnily enough but yeah so like we've been carrying that on a bit and like hopefully one day um we'll get to a point where we both uh, release and publish so it's been really interesting getting authors like yourself and uh, it's uh, funny because one of our um, most recent guests um she's called midge uh, midge gillies i don't know if it's midge gillies or midge gillies she um, actually teaches at Cambridge. She's just recently published a book called uh, Piccadilly, which is about like Piccadilly Circus, the h- its history, and it like um, it, it kind of approaches a lot of the intersectionality behind that, like um, like Piccadilly Circus during the 1800s and 1900s during the World Wars. How like it had it played a, a role in a lot of like London culture and stuff. So um, yeah, she actually coaches uh, writing as well and stuff like that. So. It's interesting to, to hear everyone's different uh, takes on that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I wanted to know a bit more about you growing up then. So did you read much growing up? Did you um, watch a lot of yes. film and stuff? Like what kind of things inspired you to become who you are today? Yes, I think reading is the main thing. In fact, I wasn't good at writing. That's the funny thing. I, I wasn't particularly, English was like my weakest subject. Um, yeah. I remember we had, I think we were one of the last few years that had in the UK you have like SATs exams in like year 6 and year 9 I think year 9 stopped and I don't know if year 6 continued but I was one yeah, of the so I did, still yeah so I, I did um, I, I still remember science being my best subject maths being second and English being my worst it was like those three subjects for year 9 SATs basically when you're 14 years old um, so yeah but the one thing that I did do a lot of is read a lot of books especially when I was younger um, we used to go to the library. My mom used to take us to the library. My parents, um, yeah, we take out books, just binge on them. I used to love like Goosebumps. I used yeah, to love. Um, I used to love reading Asterix comics. Funny yes, enough. me too. That's yeah? A, yeah? it's a I, rare one. You don't hear that much. Yeah, yeah, Asterix, about it, Asterix. I used to love it. I used to find about, it so funny. Uh, Tintin. Tintin sometimes Tintin. as well. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, absolutely. Um, what else did I like to read? Yeah. 
I used to read like Enid Blyton books. It's just kind of classics, you know, like uh, yeah, the, what is it called? The Famous Five, The Secret Seven. Um, and I'm sure, oh, and of course, Harry Potter. Our yeah, teacher yeah, read yeah. it to us when when we were in, I think, year five. From and, front to back? <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, really? It was really cool. And it was before it was famous. And we yeah. really got into it. And then I remember we wrote letters to J.K. Rowling and we, we thought it's a guy. So we were like, dear Mr. Rowling. We were like in year five. What's <laughs> the book has done? Uh, and then in year seven, I, I I actually had, I don't know if it shows on camera, but I have a bit of a scar here, which I got around oh, that no, age. And, then I, and I used to have glasses. So they used to call me Harry Potter. So that's just my little background. Hassan Potter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I used to be, be shy about that and be like, no, I'm not, you know, I used to, I don't know, get defensive about yeah. it. So I used to love Harry Potter. I used to, um, yeah, I used to read a lot of books. I mean, those are the books that come to mind, but I read uh-huh. loads when I was young. And I think that definitely had an impact. I think it but definitely yeah. did. I think reading is one of the most, and it's interesting that you said reading and stuff. I think that really has a big impact. And funnily enough, recently I got back into fiction. I've taken a huge long break from fiction. And at the moment I'm reading The Count of Monte Cristo, uh, a proper no. old classic, yeah. which I'm actually really enjoying. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Interesting. So was that like something that when, when you were growing up, like you said, you, your parents took you to the library. That's same same thing as me. And obviously now, libraries aren't as prominent like I actually like recently got my library card renewed because I was like let me try and uh, and instead of working from home all the time I'll work somewhere else that isn't like a we work space or something so I renewed my library card and I still haven't gone <laughs> but um, <laughs> was that something like that you are naturally inclined towards or was it something that was more of like a you haven't got other kind of um I don't know fun things as most kids would play like video yeah, games yeah. or whatever Oh no, I was definitely inclined towards reading. <laughs> I was quite a nerdy kid. That's probably why I was defensive about it. Uh, I was uh-huh. a bit of sports. I was probably one of the youngest in my year. And I was also a bit yeah. of a late bloomer in terms of like getting taller or getting stronger. So I was never, I never got into football. I never, I just thought, which is terrible. Like it's funny because we talk in the book about a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. I just thought, oh, I'm not good at football. I'm not good at sports. Uh-huh. I, it's just not me from a young age, sadly, which is a shame really. Um, the thing is the yeah. way society conditions you like people around you like you get stuck in your group and that's yes. it you're not out of that group yes so, absolutely I, I remember I had that um, writing the book there was a bit about the relative age effect they've done studies about like um, you know these random unfair advantages that you can have and actually being born so for the UK if you're born in September you're, you'll be the eldest and if you're born in like summer you're going to be one yeah, of the youngest yeah. and I was yeah. I'm a summer baby so like yeah, like, oh, too. that's the first time when I was researching that topic and writing about. So I was the, the first time that clicked. Oh, that's probably why the sports thing that probably played the role. Because not only was I younger, I was also a late bloomer as well. So like both of those together, like I was like this, not very fast. I was not very sporty. Um, so yeah, I loved reading, and it was something that I used to just like spend hours doing. Um, but I also used okay. to love like video games and stuff. So I used to play a lot of games too. So did you take that into school, college, uni? Like how did how did you kind of get to where you are then? What's your background kind of like? Oh, okay. So I was going to be a doctor. <laughs> so classic yeah. kind of Natural. Asian slash Middle Eastern Arab background is doctor is like the highest thing. So because I was best, really good at math, uh, science, sorry, then I thought like that's the natural thing for me to do. So I started pursuing that path, but I didn't really decide until a bit too late. I didn't get my work experience for like UCAS. And, and then I got into biomedical sciences through clearing because like I said, I didn't have the, all the all round extracurricular. Yeah, I'll the common route if you haven't figured out what you got to do. Exactly. Uh, so then just, I, I was going towards do, medicine. I was going to do medicine afterwards. And then I was actually really put off by doctors who were like, 
you've got to really love it. It's not great. It's not great. Like I was work shadowing and doing all this stuff. And and then it, it just hit me that I want to learn more about the world. So I actually mm-hmm. did economics and I did it at SOAS University, which is kind of focuses on Asia, Africa, developing countries, that kind of thing. And that just sounded really good to me because I thought maybe I can. So I was born in Baghdad. I was born in Iraq. So by both my parents are Iraqi. Um, I thought maybe I could help Iraq. I came to the UK when I was three years old. So that's why I did economics. The situation became worse in Iraq and I was like, oh, it's not going to happen. And then I thought um, maybe the typical path from there, if you're ambitious, which I was, is like banking mostly. And I didn't really have the guidance and stuff to do that, uh, to, to understand what other options there were. Banking just didn't appeal to me because it was like long hours. What am I actually doing? I'm helping rich people to get rich. And then like, okay, it's good money, but it's like crazy long hours, which is why I took an online, I was drawn towards taking an online course. So I finished economics. I got my 2-1 <laughs> eventually because I struggled with working without like at uni, which is a whole other story. Um, but then I took this online course. It was like $2,000, which was a crazy amount of money for me back then. This is like 10 years ago. Um, and I just... Because, oh, so what I was drawn towards is the fact that it was about freedom fund adventure. It was about having a passive income business that runs itself. And it all seemed legit. I kind of did my research. I was like, oh, this sounds legit. So I actually did it, which was a huge decision. A lot of people said, this is a scam. It'll never work. Was it like an after college or online thing? Oh, no, no, like, old, like a completely online course. Uh-huh. So um, it took me a while. It took me like two years to actually get it, get my business started. It took mm-hmm. an, no, or yeah, something like that. And then it took me like another year and a half before the actual business was running itself. And until then, like a year and a half, two years. Until then, it was like really long hours, really hard work, just like what I was afraid of in terms of banking. Mm-hmm. But it was worth it because I was working for myself. So that's what I enjoyed about it. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that was my path. I did economics, do this online course, started my own business, found some success with that business. I actually did make that passive income. I proved all the, the critics wrong. And that's when I got into like investing a bit. I learned about tech startups. I met Ash. He like I learned about a lot about that from him. And then we were like investing in tech startups. And then we had this idea for this book. It was mostly Ash actually who came up with the concept behind it, the and the framework. And then I started to get more and more involved and I started developing the framework and we started writing the book. And it was and it ended up being in terms of I know you're interested in the process of writing a book as well. It ended up being me writing the actual book, doing the actual writing. Um, with Ash kind of overseeing it. That makes sense. And that's so, going to be one of my questions yeah. later because I was like, how, how's that writing process with him? Yeah, yeah, that's how it worked. So that was my path. And then from there, it was like kind of coaching, advising, consulting. Um, and so so that's why I was so interested in online courses, online teaching, because I'd taken an online course and it had worked for me. Yeah. So I was always drawn towards that. And uh-huh. yeah, so it's, it all kind of comes together. It seems like, I'm doing random things, but actually it all has one core theme, which is like, even for the YouTubers I work with, they're educational YouTubers. They're like mm-hmm. teaching stuff, teaching people how to level up in life. So that's that's what brings it all together. That's the kind of thing Question. that has in common. Thank you. Yeah. So what, were your, what was the background of your parents like then? My dad's an engineer. And mm-hmm. my mom, my mom studied English back in Iraq. And yeah, like simple. My, oh, so my dad is an engineer. And then he, when he came to the UK, he started working in IT. So he retrained. And okay. that, that adapted to the fact that civil engineering jobs are not very easy to find here. Yeah, yeah. So, and he was always into computers, really. So, yeah, that's the, that's the background. Yeah. 
because yeah my, like myself as well like my dad like he was he was into tech quite a bit as well when I, when I was younger so I kind of naturally like moved towards tech so it's interesting but um I was saying that because uh, like my family like, there's background of a lot of teachers um like Islamic school teachers English teachers so like I've always had the interest in also um like doing things in a more educational way so like actually had a YouTube channel that I was running for a while where I was teaching people graphic design so that's like one of my my biggest uh, passions. Nice. Uh, I'm trying, yeah, hopefully one day go full-time and then create sort of in that kind of visual space. But yeah, um, in terms of going into the book, uh, so I'll just give a brief concept summary and then I want you to talk a bit more about it. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you some questions around it. So I found the book very refreshing in terms of the concepts and I'm sure that's why it became so popular. Uh, I feel like a lot of productivity books and self-help books kind of approach things in terms of just like habit building and kind of um, trying to improve the way you do things day by day um, rather than actually changing mindsets where I'm seeing a lot more of that these days because I feel like a lot of like habit uh, building type books are, have been explored so people are more pushing the mindset and um, how to think about things more in a philosophical way so um, it was a very interesting concept for me uh, because like growing up I've always had a bit of I wouldn't say dislike I would say maybe a bit of envy towards people that maybe had come from better backgrounds than myself in terms of like financially I would see a lot of people that um, like their family have uh, like they, they, they've got they've got housing so they've got a mortgage or whatever and like my family maybe didn't so I was like I, I felt a bit envy and a bit of like negative feelings towards them and I, I kind of carried that into adulthood where I've only recently maybe in the last few years kind of been really thinking about my unfair advantages and things like uh, like I'm naturally creatively inclined, I would say, because of like my, my background when I was younger, reading a lot, I was also drawing a lot and writing a lot. Like these are kind of like unfair advantages I was thinking about myself for myself. Um, so like it kind of opened my eyes a bit. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's also a mindset where it's difficult to get out of that negativity um, when you, you, you kind of growing up with it, like these people have this and I don't have it. So it's very difficult to think of it in a different way. Um, so I thought it's, it's a very interesting concept. Um, so I'll talk a bit about what it's actually about. So it talks about using every single unfair advantage you have. Um, and you, you said it yourself in terms of um, startup companies. So it uses the Microsoft microscope of startup companies as case studies for most of the examples, but it encourages use of this mindset in everyday life as, as you should try and take the best from everything. Um, and yeah, a few unfair advantages you could have include money, knowledge and education that's exclusive to you from your life experiences, your location and timing, um, being in the best place at the right time, um, having interpersonal skills to be able to relate to or persuade potential customers, employees and investors, um, and prestige uh, and social connections which could potentially provide you access to further opportunities. Um, so yeah, um, I want to know a bit about why you wanted to start writing this book and uh, like what it meant to you um, and also like the research process as well. Um, so yeah, give me a bit more background about like why you actually want to start writing the book. So one of the main reasons we wanted to write this book and particularly personally to me is um, I used to, I think in my teenage years and more so, um, read self-development books. And self-development books especially, well, I'd say it's sold out actually. They're mostly American. And they come with this American kind of mindset of like this kind of, well, here in the UK, we'd kind of be like scoff at it a little bit because um, it's a bit rara. You can do it if you believe in it hard enough. 
you know, it's just kind of motivational, kind of you can do anything if you set your mind to it type of things, which can be useful. Of course, there's a, definitely a place for that. And I think overall, it's more of a positive than a negative. But it does have some glaring omissions and some glaring like issues with it. And the main issue that I had with it as I was growing up and especially seeing startup founders trying their best, having had a bit of success with my business and just seeing that, hold on, they just don't have the right mental model for this. They're just thinking about it in terms of like the effort they put in, how badly they want it. And then that's it. They're just expecting that to work. But reality is like, I'm seeing the sort of, I think, especially here in the UK, I think class plays a much bigger role than like race. I think it's probably the same all over the world, to be honest with you. Um, I think people conflate class and race. And I think class is a much socioeconomic background is a much bigger obstacle for most people. And the reason it's an obstacle is very insidious. There's some, some, some very obvious reasons, like having the unfair advantage of money or a rich uncle or, or, or a dad's friend that's a CEO who you can have an internship with or get some advice from or, or whatever, things like that. But also just to be like aware of opportunities, you know, just to be aware that you can do something or just to have the right network or just to understand what um, the possibilities are or just the, the audacity to dream big or just the confidence to to go for it and to, to start to lead something. So I think that a lot of it is to do with that background. And I would see these startup founders and often if they were like, let's say like middle class, posh backgrounds, or especially like, um, yeah, like especially if they come from like successful families or just rich families, they often have a much easier time getting started. And the reason is because when you start a business, um, particularly tech startups, and that's why that was our topic, you don't make a profit for a long time. So you don't make any money for yourself. So how do you pay the bills? And for people from a more working class background or for just a more straight, you know, even kind of as Americans would call it a middle class, but, you know, something like lower middle class here for us in the UK, you you need to sustain yourself. You have bills, you have rent, you have things to do, you have responsibilities. But if you just get to, you know, live off the bank of mom and dad, then you can just pursue an idea for much, much longer. And that's just the, the baseline. We go into so much depth over the much deeper things that you can do with it. And I just notice it. I'll just be like, oh, okay. Well, they understand how this works. They know how to speak the language. They know how to dress. They know how to connect. They know how to network. They're going to be able to raise a full round of funding. Whereas, unfortunately, this other person won't. They don't even have the technical skills. They don't even know the right technical people to even do the technical side of the business. So those are the main reasons. It was like, number one, the self-development, motivational speaker stuff that you can do if you believe in it. And number two, it was just seeing firsthand like startup founders struggle, especially from ethnic minority backgrounds, from lower income backgrounds, etc. And that's what made us go, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this unfair advantage. We were kind of talking about it amongst ourselves and then we were like, okay, we need to put this into a book or something. And so we just thought we we're going to self-publish a book. Uh, but oh, yeah, yeah, then the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. I'll ask you a bit more about that as well, if you don't mind off. But um cool. In terms of unfair advantages for yourself, so what kind of unfair advantages would you say you had that helped you um, get to a point where, you, like you said, you, you found that course and you started a successful business? Yeah, so 
look, we can we can start off with the really basic things, like having good health, having um, being able to live with my parents in an expensive city like London. You know, even the fact that my parents were able to get away from like a war-torn country like Iraq, which by the age of three had already lived through two wars. You know, that is something hugely to be grateful for. So gratitude plays a huge role. So there's so many things to be grateful for. The fact that I came here so young means English was my native language pretty much or, you know, at least as good as. Um, no, definitely. Like I can articulate myself better in English than I can in Arabic, for example. So what does that mean? That means I don't have a strong accent. That means I can, you know, I can come across really well. I can speak. I can connect. I can converse. I can talk on the phone, etc. And I'm able to build that kind of trust and that kind of network and rapport to get clients to explain things in a simple way. So basically, to sum it, so that's like the background stuff. But to sum it up. I think a lot of it is to do with my communication skills. For me to be able to get, so what I was working with local businesses to help them with their marketing. So just to connect with them, just to speak with them, just to explain the co- the complex marketing principles to them about online marketing or marketing psychology in a simple way that seems accessible, that isn't full of jargon. And also for me to be, you know, not desperate, don't come across as desperate, don't come across as somebody that's going to think short term or do something to screw them over, but actually to build trust and actually they can see that they can rely on me because I'm just trying to build my reputation. That's how I was able to succeed. So that was definitely my biggest unfair advantage is like location, luck, my family, even being able to save my student loan. Luckily enough, I wasn't profligate with the student loan maintenance grant and loan that I had. I was able to put that together and invest in this online course. So yeah, there's so many factors I can go into, but I guess that gives you a flavor of the kinds of things that I would say. Uh, so in terms of the actual um, writing process, um, what was the research process like? Or like, were you doing this on a, like, all right, you, you've kind of read all these books over the years and you've kind of got a good idea of what you want to say? Um, or were you like researching very thoroughly about different concepts and different topics? How was the writing um, actual mm-hmm. process like for you? Especially no. considering you're potentially um, talking about things that your partner uh, wanted to talk about, but you had to put that in your own words. Yeah, that was easy because I was, um, we'd kind of been friends and been working together for a while. So I kind of had a good download because we'd known each other for a while now, like a, a good uh, a good year and a half before we really started to write <laughs> in the book, to work on the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so that bit wasn't hard to, um, to, to get the download from my co-author but yeah I did quite a lot of research I started even learning things about sociology when I was researching the status chapter for example and learning about Pierre Bordeaux and stuff like that Um, so I did yeah quite a lot of research um, which I really enjoyed actually Um, the other research piece that was so that was the the research was mainly a little bit of kind of theoretical stuff like that (laughs) but not actually too much of that the main research piece was the case studies that was where I did the most research there was like mm-hmm. the examples that I was able to give in the book, the, the well-known companies and the founders and what they did and what their unfair advantages were. That was where the mm-hmm. bulk of the research was. There was a few things that I had to show. Oh, what did the studies say about this? What did the studies say about that? But it wasn't too heavy with that kind of thing in general, the book. It wasn't like making scientific claims or anything that I needed to back up with research. It was more a case of like, here's a mindset. This is quite self-evident. 
here's how we can categorize it. Here's a mental model. Here are some examples. And that was essentially the, and then it was mostly just the business experience that I'd had myself beyond that. Like during that research process, what would you say is like, is there anything that, that stuck out to you? Like a really interesting thing that you found from the research that you hadn't previously known? Uh, what comes to mind is, so I already mentioned Pierre Bordeaux. That was really fascinating to learn about cultural capital and mm-hmm. social capital and the different forms of capital, essentially, because there's like economic capital, which is the main money. And then there's like cultural capital, which is the stuff what? I was saying about race. That is a lot of it is cultural capital. And then the social capital is who you know, your network. And again, that right. comes back, to, that really plays a role. Sorry, did I say race? I meant to say class. I meant to say class. Yeah. Race plays a role as well. But I meant to say class. Your cultural capital is very much based on your class. Uh, race plays a role, of course. That's kind of more about cultural background than any real difference with the whole cultural thing, hence the word col- uh, cultural capital. So mm-hmm. that was a really fascinating topic. The other thing comes to mind is learning about IQ because I needed to research intelligence. And it was actually so much more complicated to research intelligence than I expected. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, what are the different types of intelligence? How do you measure intelligence? And then what comes up is the IQ test. Actually, the IQ test is kind of politically incorrect, but it's really, really probably one of the most heavily scientifically backed pieces of like quantitative information that you can figure out so so it's very interesting because also researching especially coming from a self-development background you think like surely you can like increase your iq and it's like when you look at the research it's like "Mm, not really it's pretty fixed (laughs) and it's like yep it generally has one of the biggest correlations between life's you know satisfactions not sure about satisfaction now actually top of my head i think it was more about life success um, and how do you define success? I think it was kind of like monetary or social standing, etc. They would kind of see it's very correlated with IQ. But then how do you talk about that in a way that's empowering in the book? So that was a really fascinating concept to research and to understand okay. the also everything has its downsides. So IQ doesn't measure creative intelligence. It doesn't measure social intelligence, emotional intelligence, which are actually okay. extremely important as well. So these are the okay. kinds of things that kind of jumped jump to mind uh, in terms of case studies for me definitely canva was the most interesting case study obviously Evan yep. spiegel is the one we opened with that was kind of triggered it and then the one about canva that tool that you use to for graphic designer stuff the really simple tool yeah the founding story of that is at the end of the book because it summarizes and it encapsulates unfair advantages so well in how much melanie perkins the main kind of co-founder had to overcome to actually find that level of success with canva that was incredible Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so you talked a bit about the book, talked a bit about the writing style. In terms of like publication, how was that for you? So you said you wanted to first go down the uh, self-publishing route and then um, things be done in a different way. How was it for you? Yeah, so we were going to self-publish the book um, because we never thought we'd be able to get a publishing deal. We never even considered it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'd had our own success in business, but without, you know, being loud about it, without, sh- you know, being flashy without sharing stuff on social media. It was just kind of behind the scenes, you know, we weren't doing stuff. Um, so we didn't have much of like, one of the things they say about publishers, and it's kind of true, uh, is that they they publish, they look at your platform to decide whether to publish you or not. And platform kind of means how many people follow you, essentially. How many people know about you and follow you, etc. 
And like I said, because we were on the down low, we d- didn't have big platforms. And therefore, we just assume that, like, we're going to self-publish this and, you know, just talk about it and it'll be niche, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was funny because one of the things we, t- we teach in the book is how to start a business and how to have a minimum viable product, basically like a simple pared down version of your business, like a prototype, just to test it out, just to have a good uh, proof of concept. And so we mm-hmm. did that for our book. We created the lean version of our book, which was 10,000 words. It takes about one hour to read. It was the core concepts of the Unfair Advantage book. So I wrote that in one summer. It took me about a month or so, or a month and a half. And uh, it was essentially like we were going down the self-publishing route on Amazon, and we were able mm-hmm. to order author copies. And then those author copies we gave to a few of the people that we knew just to get some feedback. And it got passed on to a literary agent. I can't remember how she got it. She was, I can't remember the details now. And she got in touch with us and was like, please. And we were just um, getting ready to launch that lean version on mm-hmm. Amazon. And so we were talking on our Instagram, like getting ready to launch this. And it's just to, to a few followers, not even that many, like maybe a few thousand. And uh, she's like, please do not put this out there. I think <laughs> we can get your publishing deal. And we were like, yeah, right. Like not really believing her. She's like, please just meet up. Let's, let's meet and talk. So I still remember we met up at this Turkish restaurant. Has <laughs> to be a Turkish restaurant. It was a, Tur- it was a Turkish restaurant. It was a quite a yeah. nice one in Edgware, yep. uh, in northwest London. And she's like, "Look, just give me three months. Let me shop this around to publishers. You know, you might get a publishing deal." And we were like, eh. "Again, very skeptical." Saying, "Okay, we'll give you three weeks, not three months." <laughs> and she Expect- managed to get us three offers. Did which you, was incredible. Can I just ask? Did you say? Did you say three weeks? To, to, to see if you can speed her up or was that like a deadline on yourself that you actually wanted to publish yourselves no we just, just an arbitrary being, being entrepreneurs we're just like we don't want to waste sure. any time yeah we don't want to waste know. any time so it wasn't to put because we just we didn't think it would work so we just know. thought three weeks and then we could self-publish you know that kind of vibe we were like yeah, okay I don't know maybe she seems to be sure that we can get a book deal okay let's see what happens so it was like we had that kind of vibe <laughs> And the first offer we got was from Bloomsbury, which blew our minds. I was just talking about Harry Potter. They published J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter. So that was like, wow. And we just thought that was the only offer we we're going to get. And we were like already like thinking about how we should go to Harry Potter world to celebrate or something just for fun. And we got another offer from uh, Wiley. And then we got a third offer from Profile Books. And yeah, in the end, we it was incredible to be fought over like that. Um, they just loved the concept so much. They loved that we were coming from at it from a completely new angle. It was just refreshing. And so we ended up with profile books in the end, as much as we loved Bloomsbury and um, we appreciated you know, the offer from YG as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we ended up with profile books, which we're really happy with. They did a really good job on the book. Had a great editor. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was the story. It was incredible. And then uh, we gave ourselves such a short deadline to actually write the book Ash was like to them yeah it's pretty much written and I was like <laughs> kicking him under the table going no it hasn't yeah. that first draft yeah. you're referring to is awful that's nowhere near what we're going to publish and so I think the added pressure of the publisher deadline made me create something uh, obviously with Ash as well but like was, I was head down writing 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 and um, I think that went really really well Mm-hmm. Um, and that got Comes the best out of me essentially that pressure <laughs> the deadline mm-hmm. 
you know those guys that work better under pressure than when you have more time sadly yes and I think we're yeah. all a bit like that <laughs> um, yeah bring me on to the nice topic about perception of your so like perception of your own book like before and after that the agent got you those offers what was your perception of like how this is gonna come out how it's gonna be received by the public and then after how, how do you think about it? No, no, we were confident about our book. We thought it was a great concept. We've already tested it by speaking about the concept on stage and different events. So, and we were mentoring startup founders. So yeah, we had it validated and we knew the concept was good. We didn't know to, to yeah. that extent to win awards and stuff. No, we didn't know to that level, but we okay. just, we were confident, we, we were confident about our concept, but we weren't confident about like, uh, can we get the word out there? Can we actually get this? book all around the world can we actually get this on bookshelves all around the world which thankfully we did like you know that's that's something really? that that was the the really unexpected part of it is to actually get a book deal for the book to do well to become a bestseller to get rave reviews we've got over three thousand reviews now and i think like the average is over four stars out of five which is like wow that's that's yeah. what makes me feel really really good the readers to actually care like forget the you know judges giving awards and stuff like that what really mm-hmm the proof in the pudding is actually to have random people emailing me every day from different countries around the world saying yeah. how much the book helped them that that feels yeah, amazing and a random guy on LinkedIn messaging you for an interview yeah, <laughs> so, yeah thanks again for coming on very much pleasure um, what about your like close family and friends like how did they perceive it like did your parents read it for example or? Um, so first of all very very supportive very proud very <laughs> sweet everyone was incredible um, but the interesting thing is, if you're thinking about writing a book, don't really, I wouldn't expect your family and friends to read it, seriously. Because, like, it's not necessarily for them. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, if they don't necessarily. I found that. Yeah. Yeah. I found that as, like, like learning graphic design, I put in stuff out. I'm like, um, these people supporting me in the beginning. But I'm like, yeah, I guess this isn't something that they would consume naturally anyway. So. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. It was not necessarily something they'll consume naturally. They're not necessarily the target audience. So. I really don't expect my friends to have read my unless they're like voracious book readers and they're like close friends of mine i'll be like okay you haven't got around to my book but that hasn't really happened like if they are book readers then they've read it and if they aren't then i don't expect them to read it or even to listen to it i know it's available on audio audiobook but then if they're just not the type to consume that kind of content they're not going to consume it that's just how it is that's just the, <laughs> the interesting thing about like creating something you know <laughs> and they'll probably like I think you've probably experienced this like with with anything you create so with graphic design friends and family might value it less than a random stranger would and it's nothing it's not personal it's just that's just human nature yeah yeah for sure um another topic that you're you're going into nice little tendons audible and like that process recording in a studio stuff like that how did that come about and how was it for you oh that was amazing i loved it I thought it was great. We didn't read the whole book. We were, had you listening, a, were you listening to a lot of audiobooks before that? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a big audiobook guy. I, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what happened for the audiobook is we... I can't remember the exact details of, like, were we expecting to narrate it ourselves or not? Um, but we definitely wanted to be on it. And what we, what we ended up with was perfect because basically the book is written in three different voices. So there's the voice of us as Ash and Hassan there's the voice of Ash by himself and there's the voice of me by myself so that's three different ones most of the book is from us both of us so 
it was great to actually have a professional voiceover artist for that and then have us doing our own bits and that ended up being really really nice and a really nice way to set it up so really pleased about that like how long did that take in terms of like recording all your bits like did you have to really like reproduce yeah, so, stuff so like, all this weren't too long so I think it took mm-hmm. us um, half a day to do um, yeah I, I enjoyed it I enjoyed it it was, it was a great process <laughs> yeah, sounds went, great to studio, went to a studio um, yeah loved it nice. yeah it sounds like really good fun interesting um, you, so I can see the, the books in the background on your shelf there um, and I've seen a couple so I've seen that cover and I've seen the, on Ali Abdal's thumbnails a cover with a black cover um, if I'm correct in remembering um, what made you guys choose that, that kind of style because I know publishers usually tend to have a say in covers as well but uh, for you guys no, no, not just to say yeah like it's more like the authors have a say but the publishers are the one who design it and choose it so yeah. um, in the UK so what happened is what happens is when you get a book deal in the UK, oftentimes you, you'll you get an international book deal excluding North America, Canada, like North America. So that's what happened. So we have an international book deal excluding North America. Um, and the reason they exclude it is because the American market is, is a big market and you need expertise in that market. So it's a bit like in music where they need to like, will they or won't they break America? It's the same thing. So not all authors that might completely smash it in the UK would, would smash it in the US sometimes they completely flop in the US so so that was great that they didn't include the US so for that international launch it launched in hardback first and that was the black one that you've seen and that's in Ali Abdal's video that was we really liked that cover it was great and and then the paperback was the yellow so it was going to go straight to paperback at first then they read my updated manuscript when I said it was like not the first draft they loved it so much they're like okay we're going to change the subtitle first it was boost your chances of tech startup success or something like that or just boost your chances of startup success it was much more niche and they're like this book is great it's about success in general let's expand it out we really love this new cover uh, this new manuscript so let's put this out more generally um, so we really enjoyed their approach and their view of it and it worked so we, we went out on hardback which was a great compliment it was very flattering that they did that which means like they kind of put more weight behind the book and and then so that paperback design with the yellow was already designed it's kind of maze design um, but for the hardback they went for something different black with the gold arrows and so yeah so we had the hardback release and a year later the paperback release so then we had the black and yellow version then we got the book deal in the US so that was I think June 22 I think that was if I'm remembering correctly and that was incredible because we got one of the top, a top five publisher. You don't necessarily get an American book deal once you have a, a UK book deal. So it came out in the US. We had so many people like emailing us saying, why can't I get this on Kindle or Audible in the, in the US? That's because of rights reasons. It wasn't released there. So what would happen is they'd order the paperback from the UK and it would take two weeks for it to get shipped to the US, which is like crazy that we had so many US book readers who were receiving it like that. And so, yeah, now then the book was actually available there to buy. And in the US, they went for a hardback that's yellow as well. So basically, the black hardback is actually limited edition. That was just the first release for the hardcover. And most of the books are now yellow. So this is what most of the books look like now. So this is the American version. There's a hardback, yellow cover. And it's got a new prologue at the beginning as well. 
in terms of so that's interesting because I haven't really considered that before in terms of the actual design of the book. But in terms of the actual content, was it, did you have to change anything for the international? I think they changed. I, I don't even know if they changed the spelling and stuff. Actually, that was a good question. I think they might have. They might have just done a little bit of localization. Um, but yeah, not anything that we needed to do because it was like mm-hmm. it was just like yeah, maybe some of the examples were a bit UK based, but that was not a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of like marketing and stuff, did you feel like you had to do some of that yourself, or did you just like leave it to the publishers then? In in general, oh, absolutely, yeah. you have to do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, if you get a book deal and work with a publisher, bear in mind that publishers are amazing at packaging a book. They're amazing at positioning it. They're amazing at selling it to bookshops, but they're not great at marketing it. Um, this is just in general. Just all publishers. I've, I've spoke to so many authors. They all say the same thing. It's just not their expertise. It's just not like it's up down to the author to sell the book. Yeah. Like to create cool. an audience for it, to create a demand for it, to speak about it, to go on podcasts, to give, you know, speeches, to yeah. generate their own buzz. That That's going to be the author. Oh. Um, so going forward, um, yeah, so f- future stuff. So um, actually, one question before that. Um, what's the most interesting people or project you've worked on or together with since launching the book? Oh, I've worked with quite a lot of really, really interesting projects. Um, like some of that you'd be like, like uh, I'll tell my grandchildren about this. Sure. In terms of like legacy, in terms of telling your grandchildren about it, I think the book itself is the most interesting thing. So yeah. I don't think it's anything else that I would find cool now because I don't think that would be cool in, you know, however many years until I have grandchildren. Yeah. <laughs> Let me figure that out. Yeah. 30 years, maybe? <laughs> yeah. 40 years? So I think it's more um, just getting a book deal, having a book. I think that is the piece that is that will just stay in the family that granddad wrote a book and it did well etc I think that is the most interesting thing because like speaking at really cool companies like speaking at Google speaking at like working with LinkedIn or I don't know we're doing all these there's lots of other companies that we've done stuff with and done stuff for it's kind of cool but like I don't know I don't find it as cool as like having a book on bookshelves all around the world so I'll say it's the book I mean there's been incredible influences that I've worked with so it's not just Ali Abdul like people with bigger followings than Ali Abdal that I've been coaching with, consulting with, etc. So that's been really awesome and I could definitely talk about that in the future with them. But yeah, it's uh, I would say the book itself is definitely the most interesting thing. It's interesting you say that because my grandfather, he um, passed away 10 years ago, but he actually published a, a, a lexicon. So it's like a, like a complex version of a dictionary that kind of details um, like the actual, like, uh, more detailed micro parts of the language so it, it was like an English to Chimini so one of my, it's my, my, my mother tongue so it's like a, um, a sub-ethnicity within Somalia um, so he published the English to Chimini lexicon and like I've got that physical book there's only like four physical copies that I know and like, right. like I'm really proud of, of him for that so like, like one of my plans hopefully in the future is to uh, publish a proper dictionary like using that as a source as well so nice. yeah definitely Definitely something to to be proud of my grandfather about, so I can imagine for your grandchildren one day. Um, yeah. Cool. So uh, you've launched the Unfair Academy. Um, what's that about, and what do you do, and what kind of services do you offer? 
So yeah, the Unfair Academy, it was uh, a collaboration between Ash and myself, and it's still ongoing, especially in terms of the stuff specifically around the book. So uh, if anybody wants to work with us, we have companies that reach out for, that's how we work with all these companies. They reach out, um, they want us to give a keynote speech, or they want us to run a workshop. So that just runs through the Unfair Academy. I've also done online courses, which I've... um, which has been incredible. I've been teaching people how to niche down in terms of their business as a creator. So like YouTubers, TikTokers, podcasters, etc. So like niching down, um, how they can validate it, how they can even do, and this is specifically for the people who are like helping people to level up. Um, so I called it transformational creators and working with them in terms of how they can even coach others and how they can sell coaching and how it can be valuable, etc. and coaching skills. So that is... Um, some online courses that I've run and there's been a few other things here and there projects well the Unfair Academy isn't the main focus for me right now what the main focus is is as I mentioned at the beginning of this call now I guess people always ask about the second book and I've always thought that there's sad to say especially on a everyone listening here is interested in reading books I love books but I think that you change more lives and have more impact if you do things through video and like I'm a big consumer of YouTube myself I'm a big fan of YouTube there's lots of obviously there's lots of useless stuff on there but there's also lots of incredibly useful things on there so that's the next project that I'm working on it's called Success Decoded and it's a a YouTube channel and it's kind it's very very much linked to the concepts of the book because it's about famous successful people successful could be in quotation marks because sometimes they're like successful but bad you know they don't want to learn from them but they're kind of a success in a certain sense in terms of their goals or whatever Um, and I want to kind of break down biographies and break down how they became successful how we what we can learn from them and what we can't learn from them because we can't replicate because they had unfair advantages. So it's kind of that approach. It's kind of like the case studies in the book, but turning that into a YouTube, extremely in-depth YouTube series. So at the moment, I don't think I've ever revealed this publicly at all, but I'm currently working on Mr. Beast. The first episode is about Mr. Beast. Uh, Yeah. Exclusive one for the Baby Trails podcast there. So excellent, yeah. (laughs) Um, I was going to ask, in terms of that, that's an interesting topic. So like, how far back in time would you do this? I see a lot of people doing like um, video essays on people like Mansum, Musa, for example, like yeah, stuff yeah, like that's, that. That's exactly be... the kind of thing I'd... thing is, I don't know if we there's enough... Actually, I haven't researched it that much, but I know about Mansum Musa and I don't know if we know mm-hmm. enough about his life. I'm not sure yeah. if we do. Um, but yeah, I want to go far back. I want to do... So I'm going to do contemporary famous people, but I'll also do like, you know, Julius Caesar and like Alexander the Great and, and stuff like that. That would be fun too. So I am definitely have that in mind. And also expanding it out. You can do like countries. You can do brands, and, like companies, uh-huh. like anything, yeah. products. Uh, but starting with people and starting with contemporary, but like I'm going to have to like up my output. Because that's the problem. I don't have a publisher <laughs> right now to put pressure on me with, with a deadline. I mean, it was uh-huh. kind of passive pressure. I just wanted to impress them. It wasn't anything that they were doing. <laughs> so... But, um, yeah, so that's what I'm working on at the moment, and it's a big project. If anybody listening is interested in kind of working with me on the project, whether it's 
I don't know, thumbnail design, whether it's video editing, whether it's research. These are the, that's um, what I'm working on at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so if anybody's interested in working on that sort of thing with me, it's kind of a startup project right now. At the moment, it's not commercial, starting off with, mm-hmm. but eventually, hopefully, will be commercialized. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. the, the, the newest project that I'm working on and focused on. So it's called Success Decoded. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Thanks for sharing. Um, cool. So we'll wrap it up there. It's been a really uh, lovely interview and it's been lovely having you on. A real honor uh, to hear your, your story behind your book, things you want to do in the future. So I genuinely really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, uh, hopefully you honor some more and more success and achieving your goals. Thank you, Muhammad. And I look forward to reading your book one day. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if it ever comes out because like, I, I kind of like knock around like maybe I should just make it to a shoe myself like that's like maybe I should write it to a, a, like a, a, a playwright kind of script kind of thing but uh, we'll see we'll I see. just want to say like you know writing this book completely and utterly changed my life for the better <laughs> so I highly recommend it's <laughs> that's something that you're drawn towards to go for it and to really give it your all not to just just do it for the sake of ticking off our oh, book one day no, to actually mm-hmm. really, I think the reason the book did well is because I really, really cared about making the book quality and, and value adding <laughs> and easy to read and a page turner and all of that kind of stuff. That was very mm-hmm. important to me. And I think that's the biggest, anybody's thinking of writing a book, that's the biggest, most important thing about it to just really mm-hmm. make it a good book. Of course, of course, distribution is also really important. The marketing of it, get the word out about it. Definitely, that's secondary to it making it an amazing book, um, mm-hmm. and that starts with choosing the concept, choosing the idea of the mm-hmm. book, sticking to that theme, sticking to that idea, understanding how mm-hmm. the reader will go through the book, what the sort of user experience of the reader is going to be, to use the term from tech. I think that is extremely important, and yeah, I just want to finish off because I spoke about YouTube, etc. But honestly, it's been the most the number one thing that's completely changed my life and opened up doors it's just been incredible yeah I really appreciate you saying that because yeah for me it's been a case of I don't want to start something that I don't 100% believe in I want to really finalize the concept before I, I really approach it um, but yeah um been dropping a lot of gems throughout this episode um, so yeah keep a lookout we'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks and yeah thanks for sharing once again thanks for coming on it's been your boy Amit from the Paper Trust Podcast joined I'm a beautiful guest Hassan um, yeah Have a great week and we'll see you next one. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Paper Trails podcast. If you like this episode, please leave a review, comment, like, and subscribe. And be sure to follow us on all our socials. Keep moving, keep growing, keep learning. See you at work.